to step up, take control of your business, and decide to be your very best as a leader right now. Hello, this is Mike Payton with today's installment of the Lead Now podcast. I'm really excited to be speaking with Adam Radulovich, the CEO of XL.net, a Chicago-based service and support firm that provides strategic IT solutions for small and mid-sized businesses. Adam is a member of the Vistage CEO group, and in September 2020, he was invited to join the Forbes Business Council. His top priorities are enabling small and medium-sized businesses' productivity, and discovering new ways to help his clients. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you, Peyton. Thank you for the warm introduction. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you. Yeah, great. Me too. Uh, let's just start by giving us a little more flavor about XL.net. Tell us about your company, maybe a little two-minute history. Yeah, you got it. So my, uh, in my past, I've worked for Fortune 500 companies, and I learned how they operate and you know, their competencies, and then transitioned to working from small businesses. And what I noticed was large companies are fantastic at standardizing, getting efficient, but what they seem to lack is passion. And that passion I saw in small businesses, yet in small businesses, that passion kept being tripped up by the obstacles in the way. All the passion they had that was how they did HR, how they did finance, how they did IT, they really kept them from reaching what their dream was. And I wanted to go and help entrepreneurs be able to reach their dreams by removing at least some of the obstacles out of the way. And so that's how the IT portion of our business is born. In 2018, we then started focusing on engagement as well. We saw that the level of engagement and culture morale in a company also held that organization back. And that's why we've gone after those two different service lines. Yeah. Awesome. Explain what small and mid-sized business means to your organization. It's different to everybody. So for me, it's organizations that are under 250 employees. Got it. Got it. Very similar sweet spot to the EOS sweet spot for sure. What role do you or roles do you fill in your organization? And thank you for saying roles. Uh, <laughs> we have 25 employees. So I, I, I unfortunately do have a couple of hats that I sit in. Uh, today, it's that of an integrator as well as head of sales. Got it. Got it. And do you feel like you're a natural born integrator, the person who runs the day to day, or do you trend more to the visionary side? Uh, so I've, I've sat in the visionary seat. I've sat in the integrator seat. I am more naturally an integrator. I love numbers. I love efficiency. I like integrating different uh, people and departments, even though I also like the visionary aspects to, but I think more naturally I gravitate to an integrator. Yeah. Well, an, an integrator with vision is a powerful combination and uh, that sounds like the right spot for you. So I want to focus on leadership today. And so I'm going to just ask you a series of questions and we're going to go where we go with this conversation. So the first question is just, if you can go back in history to the earliest point in your life where you recognized someone as a leader or leadership being displayed, who was it? What were they doing? And what were you thinking? So it's going to sound like a cliche, but my parents, and I'll tell you why, it was around the annual family vacation. So I grew up in communist Yugoslavia. Both my parents accomplished mechanical engineers. But even with that, they had to save literally all year long for a single vacation for my brother and I to get really what turned out to be experiences of a lifetime. 
And I swear my dad would go decades without buying new clothes just so we can have this beautiful life experience. And the level of planning they went and really had to invest to get that to happen, I didn't understand until later in life when I asked them, like, hey, tell me more, like, of those vacations. Like, how do you, how do you actually do that? And the, the planning was just impressive. It was literally a year worth of planning to get us to have a four to six week vacation. Wow. That's cool. What were some of the vacations you remember most vividly? It was always the same spot, the Adriatic Sea. So we'd go to a little uh, island there. We would drive through mountainous regions. I still remember rainy and foggy clouds. We'd drive through these mountains and the ravines that we'd hit, and we'd get to this beach. And I was so excited because we'd get to the, the boat to take us to the island. And when we get in the island, I, I can still picture being on the beach, playing in the sand. Like so much of it is still just burned in my memory. And I'll never be able to repay him for that. Awesome. And so you mentioned planning. What are the other things you saw your parents doing that you still remember to this day, that, that smack of leadership to you? Painting a vision, having us understand what we're going to experience ahead of time so we can get excited about it ahead. They would put together checklists. And I didn't know, I, like, I remember from time to time, I'd see, what are they doing in this paper? And they do these checklists, make sure the car was taken care of. They check the oil, they check the tires, and they go through this amazing checklist. And I thought it was just normal. Late, later on, I found out it's a, a little obsessive how, how much detail they went into. Well, you could either call it obsessive or being a mechanical engineer. They're mechanical engineers, yes. That definitely echoed in how they, they acted. Awesome. That's awesome, but very methodical, very careful, very mindful about the responsibilities. I would imagine in communist Yugoslavia, that was critical because the resources, the waste was not an option. It wasn't, though for me, I didn't really understand it because it was the only life that I knew. It was after I moved to America and started seeing a different way of living that I started seeing, well, I remember we would have Coke once a week. That I'm was really a, jealous of the kids that had it every day. And yeah. I knew of only one kid that did. And that was post your a move to America? That was strange how yeah. different it is here. You can drink pop all day long if you yeah. want. You might not want to, but you could. Well, and I think those who have those options their entire lives have a tendency to take those things for granted. Those who don't uh, savor it for the rest of their lives. So. Tell us about the transition from Yugoslavia to America. How old were you? Walk us through that story. We don't need to spend a lot of time there, but just high level. Sure. So I moved right before uh, turning 11 to uh, Provo, Utah, which mm -hmm. culturally from going from a socialist or communist country to Provo, Utah was about as big of a shell shock as you can get. No kidding. No, we went into uh, an environment where drinking anything with caffeine, like having caffeine was not accepted. And I couldn't understand, like, I couldn't understand, like, why can't we have tea? Well, it has caffeine. And I just, it just didn't make sense. So I had that shock. I didn't speak the language. I didn't have any friends. It was a pretty rough first six, six months for me. But you know, it allowed me to see completely different cultures and how they operated and correlate and figure out their positives in both. Like the level of bond and connection we had in, in Yugoslavia where you can go to the neighbor, just knock on the door and say, I need an egg, I need sugar, I need something. They welcome you in. Everyone just gave, right? Even though they didn't have much. That sense of community, I really haven't been able to see anywhere else. Wow. Interesting. How did that transition and that, 
that sort of shock of a completely different culture uh, change you or mold you as a young man? I think it just allowed me to accept people more, how they operated, and just understand that everyone has a different background and experience, and that's why they're the way they are today. It's this culmination of experiences they had that created them, and to not judge them for not having experiences that gave them a different perspective. Interesting. At what point in your life did you, and maybe you never decided this, did you know you were going to be a leader? So probably I didn't think of it that way. Uh, I probably more focused on being an entrepreneur. Probably again, when I was 11, just recently in America, we got one of those pieces of mail that said, you won a million dollars. And I grabbed it and I ran to my parents. I said, look, look, we got a million dollars. My dad kind of chuckled and explained what was happening, that this was really just a marketing ploy. Uh, But I started getting interested in how marketing works and entrepreneurship works. And I ordered this creative business program when I was 12. And so I've been really interested in creating companies and how entrepreneurship works since I was was 12. And what was the first business that you created? I didn't do it, but I got the plans for it. This uh, newspaper-based dating service where you'd connect people that are looking to, to date. It was probably the early version of Tinder. Well, there are numerous entrepreneurs who have made millions of dollars on that idea, Adam. I think you've lost a great opportunity there. I did. I missed that boat. <laughs> yeah. And your strategic IT business uh, couldn't be further afield from that, <laughs> unless, of course, you specialize in helping those kinds of companies uh, with their IT needs. So Not yet. All right. Sounds good. What if I asked you, as you formulated your own leadership style over the years, who's the best leader you've ever observed leading? David Zaret. So he recruited me to work for Swiss Bank right out of college. In fact, while I was in the middle of college. And I remember the first you know, sit down I had with him as, as my manager. And he said, Adam, my goal for you is for you to take my job. Wow. Which was shocking. I kind of thought, well, that's, that's strange. Then what, what would he have? If I'm taking his job, then he wouldn't have a job. And he explained to me the, like, the concept of abundance. It's not, hey, we have one size of a pizza and then we can only split it. And every time we split it, you get less. We're creating something together. And if I have you take my role, I'll probably take a different role. So he took the time to explain that to me and then painted this picture of where we're going to head for the whole team. And we're a hundred percent bought in to his vision and we were going the direction that he really painted for us. And ultimately we spun out with the blessing of Swiss bank, formed our own company and later in 2007 got acquired by Microsoft into what you today know as Microsoft teams. And that was really all from his vision, how it started this way that people should collaborate the Slack teams. This is how we do it today. In fact, COVID is what propelled it even further but it's technologies that we were developing in the late 90s. I'll be darned. That's a great story. And so you touched on it, but let's spend a little more time here. Describe David and the attributes or characteristics he displayed that you think made him a great leader. Painting that vision of what we need to be, not just, he, he wasn't limited by how things were done today. He said, there's a different way that we can all collaborate. And we were deploying technologies for 50,000 concurrent users and how they should communicate. And he just had this persistence of 
the perfect execution of his vision. Yeah. When a team member raised, uh, we can't do that because of X, Y, or Z, when obstacles presented themselves, what was his approach to leading your team through those obstacles? We can't was not a phrase that we, we ever used. And it was David always saying that there's a better and different way to do it. When we hit a roadblock, we would re-engineer it from scratch. Yeah, well, and and as you say, if ever there was proof of that being true, COVID-19 hastened us understanding all of that. So it's all possible. Really interesting. Have you ever had or observed or or noticed somebody who's not a particularly good leader? I will they, not name him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll not name him, but it was, I'll not name him and I wouldn't necessarily blame him, but he came in to manage an existing team within 30 days he made every a player feel like a c player before even understanding what it is that we did and the job that we we're trying to accomplish he told us he was disappointed in our performance within six months everyone but one person left that team and it's a shame because the team was fantastic we just happened to need a new new leader new manager and went in the wrong direction really fast and what are the characteristics or behaviors that, what are the kinds, I mean, obviously he focused almost exclusively on constructive feedback, but other things you noticed that made the team feel not valued? He didn't have empathy, right? It was, hey, the results need to be better. And that was the only focus. The, the results are not good enough. You're not doing a good enough job. It wasn't a, hey, let me sit down and coach you how we can do things differently and lift our performance would be even better than where it was. It was this, you said constructive criticism. I didn't say constructive criticism. No, no, I was being too kind is what That's you're very saying. very kind. Yeah. So was able to see the cloud in every silver lining. Is that? Uh, That's a perfect uh, way to phrase it. Just a negative person. It was, that. that's, it was unfortunate. I don't know if he was given a charge to get performance to double and this is the approach they thought would work, which is take a stick out and just start swinging until it works, right? Beating cell continue until morale improves. Maybe this <laughs> is operating model. Yes. Now you're reminding me of a couple of my famous non-great leader stories. Might have been me uh, guilty of that from time to time. So, so if I asked your teammates to describe you as a leader, what are the characteristics or attributes they'd share with me? Passionately persistent aggressive, caring, and on occasion, a lovable jerk. Tell me more about lovable jerk. That appeals to me for obvious reasons. I push people past their comfort zones. I'm very comfortable with change. I recognize that other people aren't. And I push past that point, sometimes right to the line where people get closer to breaking. And I come off as a jerk because I I can see they're not comfortable passing it, but I, I push push along. Yeah. You can share an example of that type of leadership behavior without revealing names or circumstance. I'd love you to do it. Give me an example of when somebody's reacted maybe negatively to you pushing them beyond their comfort zone, but in the end, they're grateful and you're grateful that a new level of performance has been achieved. So I, when you're asking, I knew exactly the story uh, in my head. From the beginning, the way we structured our strategic IT service is to understand where the business is trying to go 
and apply technology like a tool to help them get there faster and more efficiently. Now, initially, we used to exclusively ask the integrator or the president, where's your business heading? And we'd struggle because they didn't understand exactly what we're asking and they couldn't really tell us what their department's direct needs were. And so we're relatively blind. In late 2017, we had an aha moment, really, and it was an accident. We started interviewing every member of the leadership team, every department head, and asking very structured questions about where they're heading, the obstacles, risks they have along the way. And it was like a light just turned on for us. We were able to create one-page technology plans, which are basically departmental VTOs, which took that from EOS, that guide them on here's the annual goals, here's the metrics, here's the next quarter, here's the open issues list. And I saw that this is the way that we need to operate now. One of the folks on my team, and his personality is he's a fantastic executor, but change, he needs to see a lot of evidence before change. So it's hard when you have a new concept and somebody requires a lot of evidence. You got a little bit of a chicken and the egg problem. And I kept pushing and getting more and more evidence. And, and finally, I just said, you, you got to do this. This is what you're doing. And that's where the phrase, I think initially was born of a lovable jerk. You know, I went past his need of having more evidence and pushed past it and just said, just, you got to do it. It's yeah. not an option. It took a year, but now he looks back and he's like, thank you. This is exactly what I needed to help get our clients to where they need to go with technology. And, you know, I'm thinking about that story. And what I love is that you gave him the space to arrive at that conclusion on his own. And it was only after repeated attempts to allow his process to work that you insisted he trust you, right? The amount of time that passed between those two, I didn't disclose, but yes. Okay. All right. Fair, fair enough. Was it? It was months. Uh, I, I would uh, say people tend to describe me as impatient. I, I know that comes as a shock to all my friends who are listening, but uh, um, just for the listener that may not understand what a VTO or a departmental plan is, I'm going to clarify something. A VTO is the Vision Traction Organizer, which is a two-page strategic planning document a company running on EOS uses to clarify where it's going and how it plans to get there. And a departmental plan is the second page of that document for a department within that organization that identifies goals for the year, goals for the quarter, what we call rocks, and a long-term issues list. And Adam, your company, like a lot of my clients, use the, that tool not only internally, but to get on the same page with your customers. 100%. That was a fantastic discovery for us. It made everything so much simpler and clearer for us and our clients. One document to guide both of us. Great story. Can you think of a situation in your leadership career where you feel you failed or made a big mistake as a leader? And if so, share with us what that situation was. Yes, I can think of it. I will share it, but I don't want to. Okay, fair enough. It was uh, in 2016. Initially, it started relatively benignly. You know, there's people in the company that when they're out in breaks, I would overhear that they're saying something sarcastically negative towards another Excel netter. Like slight version of gossip, but I thought nothing of it because it was humorous. And that continued for a few months. And before I knew it, a fourth of my company had this, I call it cancer, 
that grew were created an animosity between people. And I tried to correct it, but my eye was off the ball for, for too long. And we turned over a fourth of our company. It was just, it was unfortunate, it didn't need to happen. I wish I could rewind it back in time and make it not happen. Because there was a moment, it was just one person. I didn't know exactly who it was, and I could have done something different. Yeah. One of the observations I make working with leadership teams on a quarterly basis is the big problems are caused by the things you don't talk about, not the things you choose to talk about. And so we talk about the power of providing feedback early and often. Hey, what was that all about? That didn't, that felt icky. In hindsight, you would have behaved that way pulled that person aside and said, what's going on here? And then you could be party to a solution rather than a part an observer of the outcome, right? And I, I wish that that was a scenario that could have played and we lost quite a bit of time and fantastic people through the process that just didn't need to happen like that. It was disruptive for them as well. And yeah. it's hard when you say like, hey, when you notice something, talk about it. To this day, it's still, I still notice happening for months where I go, wait. We need to talk about this. There's well, no hiding. You're not hurting people's feelings. We just got to talk about the uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and we're busy and those conversations are scary, right? And so, and you're opening, a, you know, the proverbial can of worms or Pandora's box when you go there. And so it's, it's human to avoid those conversations, but doing it well quickly is essential. So... You've begun introducing some EOS terminology into the conversation, and so let's just go there. I want, I'm want i curious to know what about EOS has helped you lead and maybe your leadership team lead better, having been working with the tools for the last seven years or so. Life before EOS was everyone accountable for everything. We're 24-7 companies, so it was we were all 24-7. We weren't a 24-7 company. Everyone is in, was individually 24-7, and we had clients that we'd focus on differently. We had two presidents, and our implementer, Clark Newhoff, came in and spent four and a half hours with us on our accountability chart. It was the most brutal experience that I had to date. It wasn't the 80-hour weeks. This four and a half hours, we really had to call it, break some bones to let them form in a healthy way. That put us at least in an accountability standpoint, in a structure and foundation that we could succeed with. And I think most probably EOS companies love the level 10s or IDS process. That was how we organized the issues that we talked about where we before. I remember we had these boards of lists on there. We're like, and it was just overwhelming. You got bigger and bigger and you're, you just and you don't want to talk about any of Each of you had your own list too, right? <laughs> Instead of it all being one list. We were afraid to add things to the list because it was just overwhelming. We're like, well, Man. when you run out of space on the whiteboard, you, you're not allowed to have any more issues. I've been there. Yeah. That, that was us. That, that was absolutely us. And I think what EOS really did for, for us is simplify all these concepts of how to run a company and go to the essential. If you do this, 80% of what you have going on in your business will be taken care of. We didn't need perfection. We just needed to give us a model that we can follow that's not really complex. We didn't come with, you know, with MBAs from universities that gave us the structure. We had nothing coming in. We had passion. Just like my description while we got in business, we got hit with the same thing. We had just infinite passion. We could work 
80 hour weeks we needed to be molded and guided in the right direction yeah cool how has your development as a leader in your business affected your life outside the business and it's not just for me i think others have excel and done have adopted the same thing you know, personal core values of family how you do planning with family how you process issues i mean this this is going to sound weird but uh at our last family vacation at the end of it we went around and processed the issue of how do we like this family vacation and anything that got brought up we would address we would first identify the core issue then we discuss it and we solved it for the next time and initially, like my family was like, this is a little strange. What are you doing? Because you're kind of following some process here. <laughs> when we were done, they loved it because it's impacted how we do vacations. So tell us about your family. How many kids? How old? Give us a sense of, of how this conversation might have played out. Sure. I have three kids. And for the last couple of vacations, because if you remember when I said my parents' vacations really last in my memory, I wanted to continue that. My parents come on vacation with us as well. So it's this large family unit from eight years old with Ella to, to my parents who are in their late 70s. So you get the whole cultural and age variance from, from all of them and the different things that they need. And how do you get everybody, how do you get the needs met from eight-year-olds to the late 70s? And was the feedback you got from your parents more checklists? We need more checklists. Is that... Uh... <laughs> Oddly, they, I think they gave up on the checklists. Okay. <laughs> but their memory is like flawless. They will That's not awesome. forget something. So I don't know if they're secretly keeping checklists because I tease them about how OCD they are with that. But their issues were more around, hey, here's what we want temperature like. Here's the events that I think would make sense to get all of us to incorporate together. But everyone called me out for, you, what, are you, what are you doing here? This is a little different. Awesome. How do you sharpen your saw as a leader? What are the resources you rely on to always be getting better? Sure. Uh, I read two business or psychology books a month. I'm part of uh, Vistage. It's a CEO organization. In fact, that was where I learned about EOS. And the book EOS Traction is where I was recommended for my uh, Vistage share. I'm part of another industry-specific organization. So I've got a coach, Gary Pika. And I run one of his peer groups as well. So I get to practice you know, leading a group and being part of groups. And then uh, recently, the Forbes Business Council has more given me a, a global access to the network where now I can talk to people around, around the whole world where I think before it was more locally centered. Neat. Awesome. Thank you. Last question. There are lots of young leaders out there. And, and this year has been tough for all of us. Some are shaken to the core, some are resolutely confident. But for those people who are finding their footing as a leader, what's the advice you'd give them with all the history you've got and the development you've done? Now is the best time to grow your business. You will not experience a level of change that's happening today. None of us have in our lifetimes. Take advantage of it and please make the road easier for yourself by following another path. And EOS has given you a path. Just follow that and make your life easier and allow your passion to be reached sooner. Terrific. Thank you, Adam. I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed the conversation. I wish we could keep going. But at, given that you're in Chicago, I'll have to drive down and we'll do that over a beer. I'll wear my mask. Uh, perfect. So before I let you go, where can the listener learn more about you and XL.net? 
Uh, thank you. And uh, our name makes it really easy. So XL.net, that's like extra large, so just two letters, XL.net. Come on over and we have a lot of uh, content for people to review, even if it has nothing to do with uh, XL.net. Our purpose is helping small businesses and their staff reach their goals faster and more efficiently, even if you don't pay us a dime. Great. Thank you very much for your time today. Really enjoyed it, Adam. Have a great week, a great weekend, and uh, our listeners all thank you as well. Thank you, Peyton. Thank you for having me. If you're running your business on EOS, you know we value open and honest feedback. So please open up your podcasting app and leave us a review. Let us know if there's anything we can do to make the podcast better or help you along on your own entrepreneurial leadership journey.